0: Hello, I'm David Fisk. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at InTown, and I'm glad you're here with us today. This is a special day uh, to get to worship outside and be together. That's really cool. Um, well, as I normally do, because uh, I feel like I tease Jimmy I've been typecast, uh, we're going to talk about despair and suffering today. so <laughs> i got to ruin the nice weather and the time that we're together, so if you pull out your bulletin, I want to just draw your attention to this first quote. It says, Death by crucifixion was one of the cruelest and most degrading forms of punishment ever conceived by human perversity, even in the eyes of the pagan world. Um, That's pretty sobering to think about our Savior experiencing that. And we're gonna talk about that today, but also talk about some good things too. So Donna's gonna come read for us now.
1: The scripture reading this morning is from Mark, can you hear me? Mark fifteen, twenty-seven through thirty-nine. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Amen. This is the preaching or the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. It's beautiful weather. This is awesome to get together in the midst of. A pandemic, and finally to get to see people that we haven't seen in so long. And Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, that it would bless us, that it would grow us, that it would challenge us, that it would produce holiness in us, and it would be something that would comfort us, something that would give us hope, something that would give us Love for you and love for others. We pray that you would do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, I'm worried that my papers are going to fly away. So, Winton Marsalis, Win Marsalis. He is a musician. He's in a band. He's a composer. He's a teacher. But he's really known for being one of the best jazz trumpeters and one of his biggest fans is a writer for the Atlantic Monthly and he found out that Wynton was going to put on a solo concert in a small venue in New York City and he was going to go and he got a ticket and it was just the rare of the rarest concerts, right? Because here's this great tr- jazz trumpeter, and he's going to give this incredible performance. And he's playing uh, throughout the the concert, and he's just nailing it, right? He's nailing his his performance. <laughs> he's nailing his performance. And as he comes down to the end, he says... Okay, I'm going to finish with a ballad, and so he starts to play that ballad. It's beautiful. It's wonderful, and it's coming down to the last three or four notes, and all of a sudden, some my cell phone rings, and it's not one of the like cool rings. It's one of the like electronic, singy, songy beats, you know. And the Atlantic, Mo- Atlantic Monthly writer that was there wrote down, magic ruined. And he said he was crushed because it was like this performance was incredible, and then it got ruined. This performance, like, I'm, I'm never going to ever have an opportunity to see Wynton Marsalis in a, in a solo act in a little small concert in New York City. It's almost like he was Hopeless. You and I know what that feels like. It's called despair. When you kind of take this deep sadness but you combine it with hopelessness. You have despair. And you can understand that. Oh, thank you. Perfect. I feel like fourth grade again like a clipboard. But you and I understand what that hopelessness feels like. You and I understand because when you have a medical condition and can't do anything about it, you feel that. When you have a child with a medical condition and you can't do anything, you're powerless, you feel that. When you have a job that you really wish you could change and the window for changing is slowly dying, you feel that. When you're sitting at home by yourself eating your dinner alone, longing for a relationship and thinking, "I'm never going to get married," I'm losing hope. When you desire to grow spiritually, and yet you just keep failing again and again and again. And you feel hopeless, or someone dies. And you know that you can never hug them again. It breaks your heart. George Floyd got justice this week. But Dante Wright, a black man, got shot and killed. A 13 year old Latino boy was shot and killed. And it's like, we just had the Philemon Project, and I'm all excited, and then George Floyd, and then the two two people getting shot, and I'm like, are we ever going to have racial reconciliation? Like, I feel hopeless right now. This is overwhelming. We feel that despair. We also feel it because you are where you are, right? You also feel it because we have all been living through a pandemic, for a year, right? Where you have experienced sadness and despair. I mean, think about if I told you like eight months ago. You're going to be locked in your house. You're going to have to wipe down all your groceries. You're not going to get to visit anybody. Um, you're going to be at home watching church on the television, not going. But when you do get to go, you can't sing, all the while, we're waiting for. Are we ever gonna get a vaccination for COVID? Like, is it ever gonna come? When's it gonna come? And when is life gonna get back to normal? And there was almost like this despair of, like, is it ever gonna get made? Well, okay, now it is, it's made. Now, am I, am I ever gonna get it? Like, how long is this gonna be? And I, I want us to say, I think a lot of times we don't wanna admit that we feel sadness that we feel hopelessness because we have shame of it. Like, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's something we don't like to talk about because it hurts. But then also, we just shame ourselves thinking, I'm a horrible person for having to take my sadness to my friend or to feel hopeless. Like, I'm not a good Christian if, I'm not, if I don't have hope. Right? If I'm in despair, is God going to really love me? And I wish, this is what I wish, I wish we could all just stop pretending that we're not hurting. I wish we could stop pretending that not, that all of us here are hurting. I wish we could be honest about the ways that we're sad, the ways that we are hopeless, the ways that we are in despair. Even in this beautiful weather, even in this beautiful time together, I know that there are hurts and pains in your life and what I want is for us to stop pretending and stop wallowing in shame as well because the truth is if you don't feel it you're not going to heal it I read that in a counseling book this week (laughs) if you don't feel it you're not going to heal it I feel like that should be a t-shirt you know But seriously, if you don't like, feel your sadness or grieve your hurt in your life, you're not going to heal from it. And so <clears throat> you have to understand the climax of the gospel is the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's got both. It's got Jesus' humiliation, but also his exaltation. And so this morning, this is the reality that we live in. And so what do we do with our despair? What do we do? Well, let's look at this passage. And it's a passage of Jesus' crucifixion, and it really is a passage of despair and horror and humiliation. But there's something else there. There's something else that's good that's there. So let's look at these first three, let's look at these three groups of people in the passage. First, you have the robbers, right? You think of the robbers, you're like, oh, they probably like broke into someone's house and took their computer. Like, no, this is much, much worse. Robbers in that time were considered people who would have ruthlessly used force and violence on other people. And this is who Jesus is crucified with. This is the one that Jesus gets centered between. These robbers. I mean, it's just just this gross injustice that Jesus comes to save, and instead he's killed. And these two men who are bad people are like mocking him as they die. How messed up is that? Right, Then you have the passerbys. It says, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come on down from the cross. These are people who would have been going by. They would have known about Jesus because everybody knew about him in Jerusalem. They were probably on their way to the Passover, or they were just there to watch like the latest thing that's going on in their city. And they would have stopped and kind of taken the scene, and they would have just judged him and contempt. So much contempt. Just you're so bad. I'm just shaking my head at you, and I hate you. So much contempt. They're hurling abuse at him. Hey, I thought you were going to break. I thought you were going to destroy the temple and build it back up. Won't you come on down? You're supposed to be the king. You're supposed to be the savior. Why don't you do a miracle? You can save other people. You can't save yourself. They're mocking him. They're they're talking trash to him. Right? Well then you have a third group, the chief priests. You see this in verses 31 and 32. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Don't think of them as chief priests. Like replace those two words with senior pastors. And scribes assist. right? It's the leaders of the church. They're so delighted to see this man crucified, humiliated on the cross. And they get so caught up in it that they join in in their anger. They join in and, you know, insulting him. Come on, king. Come on, bad boy. Why don't you do it? Why don't you come down? Do a miracle. You're supposed to be this great, incredible Savior. You're dying. You're a fraud. Jesus is mocked by senior pastors and church elders and passerbys and people who were there excited to see him die, and by robbers who were in the midst of dying right next to him. Like, he's mocked. And insulted and just talked trash to by them. It's just so not the way it's supposed to be. And then we see in verse 33 what happens next. It says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So darkness from that period of time would have been from, like, noon to 3 o'clock. So that's peak sunshine hours, right? Like, if you're going to lay out, that's when, that's when you go, 12 to 3, right? 12 to 3 would have been that time. Complete darkness. Complete darkness. I mean, think about that. 12 to 3, complete darkness. Like, creation is moaning. And he's coming to the end of his life. And you know what darkness represents from some Old Testament scriptures, like Amos? Darkness represents lament and judgment. Divine judgment. So during these three hours, Jesus is fulfilling these Old Testament scriptures. He's dying as a sacrifice for the people's sins. But he's doing it in pure agony. I mean, there's no way to describe how physically horrible this would have been. And what's interesting to me, I didn't know this till I was in commentaries this week, that Jesus died around the same time that at the temple they would have been doing the daily sacrifice. Coincidence? I think not. No. Definitely not. He is being made sin. And becoming the once and for all sacrifice. The once and for all sacrifice. Who paid the price. For us betraying God. For us betraying God. Then you see how he shouts out in verse 34. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like. He experiences divine abandonment, like he feels like God, his Father, has deserted him and left him behind to be humiliated and crucified and shamed. And this quote is actually from Psalm 22, and one writer says this. He says, Psalm 22 is an urgent appeal for God to intervene on behalf of a righteous sufferer. So it's an appeal to God to like intervene and like help this person stop suffering. But he didn't. And Jesus' cry expresses the profound horror of separation from God. You have the perfect Son of God who experiences his dad abandoning him. Abandoning him. Why? To be punished for the things that you and I have done. To be punished for the things that you and I have not done. To be punished for the things that you and I have thought. He's doing that. And in verse 35, you see some of the bystanders um, saying, some of the bystanders hearing it saying, Oh, he's calling Elijah. So Jesus' cry is actually in Aramaic. And in Hebrew, it sounded a lot like the name Elijah. And if you remember Elijah, he was the one who didn't die. He rode a chariot off, just kind of like, and was with God. So they're thinking, oh yeah, he's calling Elijah. Yeah, go ahead, call him. You ain't coming down. Call him, go ahead. It's like they're laughing at him now then verse 36, And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. You know, so they can keep him alive a little bit longer. And they're saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down and take him down. Yeah, keep frying, fella. do not you do your miracle? Well, you can't do that. Why don't you call Elijah to do a miracle? You can't do that either. And then in verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Jesus dies. This is the most upside down, backwards moment in all of eternity. I'm not being dramatic or hyperbolic right now. I'm being serious. This is the most upside down moment in eternity. Because the Savior who came into the world to save humanity is killed by humanity. Like, If you're a follower of Jesus seeing this happen, you're going, magic ruined. That's my king, I thought. That's my Messiah who's dying up there. That's my Savior. And there would have been a lot of sadness and hopelessness. And despair. But here's here's what I want to say. Like I mean, there's so much humiliation and horror and despair in this passage, but there's something else. There's something else, something that can make us unafraid of despair. Hope. Hope. Even in the midst of Jesus' crucifixion in this passage, there are doses of hope sprinkled throughout. Showing you that this is not the end of the story. So first, you think about the three groups that are mocking him. They're all mocking him like, do a miracle and come on down, do a miracle. Well, you know what? Jesus did do a miracle. You know what his miracle was? He stayed up on the cross. A miracle of grace and mercy that he would experience the punishment that we deserve. That he would redeem us by buying us back. That's what redeem means is to buy back. And Jesus does this for us by staying up on the cross. Why in, it's why in 30, in verse 37 it says Jesus uttered a cry, a loud cry. Jesus did this for a reason, a loud cry for a reason. And, you know, at typical crucifixions, there's lots of loud, loud cries. But this loud cry was done to show that he is giving his life away. It's not being taken by someone else He is giving his life away. He is laying it down. He is the one who's putting it on the ground. He is the one who's willingly sacrificing himself. He's willingly sacrificing himself. Why? Well, in Mark 10, verse 45, he said, I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. So he's doing what he said he was going to do. And that's why this passage is not one of hopelessness. Not one of just sadness. There is hope in here. I mean, Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do when he offered himself. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly how he was offering himself as a voluntary sacrifice so that you and I can become a children, a child of God. And here's the thing, he also does it because he knows it's not the end of the story. He knows it's not the end of his story. <clears throat> Look at verse thirty eight says and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is right when Jesus has died. I mean, could you imagine like working in the temple and then all of a sudden this huge curtain just rips in half out of nowhere? What is he doing? He's taking down the barrier. He's giving you access to the most holy place. He's giving you access to God. Jesus is laying down his life, tearing the curtain, separating that that separated the holy place from the most holy place. He says, that's now gone because of my once and for all sacrifice. And you get to have access to God. By his grace, by his mercy. And I thought it was interesting. Why, did it, like, why do they have to be like so specific on it tore from the top to the bottom? You know? Well, a human could have reached the bottom of that thing and torn it. But the way that the temple was set up, only God could have done that. Only God would have had the power to be at that spot and do it the way that it happened and torn from the top to the bottom. And so you see, this is God doing that. Because Jesus has paid the price on the cross. Jesus has paid the price. And you see, Jesus' death removes that for us. It rescues us from our despair by uniting us to the Father. And so you become a child of God, a child who is loved and cared for, a son or a daughter who God is proud of. I mean, right now, do you think that God likes you? Because he does. Because of Jesus. He loves you. You know, my dad always told me, you have to love your enemies, but you don't have to like them. Right? Like, God doesn't just love you, he likes you. He likes you. And this cultivates hope as his children. And it shows that we are. he is always with us. He is always with us. And, and with this kind of withness brings healing and Empowerment and kindness kindness that we can show to ourselves because we 're not very good at that, but kindness that we can show to each to others as well so do all those things and so Want well, you to understand one thing. Sorry, I lost my place in my notes. If Jesus can handle taking care of your sin, then Jesus can handle when you bring him deep, deep sadness. He can handle when you bring him deep hopelessness. He can handle you bringing him despair. He can handle that. And he will handle it without shame. Without shame. So lastly, we have this character in verse 39, the centurion. It says, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, This man was the son of God. Now remember, this guy is a Roman soldier. He's a centurion who would have been at lots of crucifixions. He would have seen lots of people die. And his sole duty was to watch Jesus and make sure someone didn't help him get down or that he got down. That was his job. You had one job. Like, that's your job. Don't let Jesus down. And his job, I mean, he's accustomed to seeing so much pain, and he sees Jesus' humiliation. He sees Jesus mocked. He sees Jesus treated with contempt. He sees the anger of the crowd. He sees the darkness for three hours. He sees it all. And what is his response? Truly, truly, That's his first word, truly. And that means that you need to take it as a reality. Because that's what he's saying. This is real. Truly, this man was the son of God. And for a Roman Gentile to say that, he would have been saying something to the equivalent of, this is one of the most important men ever. And so he's saying this is real, this is true. And Jesus' crucifixion is so powerful that it convinced and assured this Roman Gentile soldier that he indeed was the Son of God. How much more would the disciples have, have had assurance and hope because they saw the resurrection? how much more do you and I have that we are past the resurrection and we have the whole Bible and can look back at all the ways that Jesus' crucifixion fulfilled Old Testament prophecy? It gives us hope. It shows us that Jesus can do what he wants to do, which is to save and redeem. He wants to get, give us hope. I'm come back to Winton now. In his performance, he said that he's playing his trumpet. You know, this is an air trumpet, by the way. Uh, he's playing his trumpet. He hears a cell phone go off, and his eyebrows go up, and he pauses, and then he plays it on his trumpet. <laughs> plays it. Plays it again. Plays it again, starts to riff on it a little bit, plays it again, goes up a key, goes down, speeds up, slows down, improvs on it, he's a jazz trumpeter, remember. He improvs on it and brings it back to his final few notes of his ballad. You see the magic wasn't ruined. Like he took the mistake of the cell phone and he rewove it back into something beautiful, into his own ballad. And you and I need to understand that in the same way, Jesus is our master musician. Jesus is our master musician who can take our despair and reweave it back into hope, back into beautiful music. He rescues us from our hopelessness and our sadness and our despair. And he reweaves it into hope so that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid that we're alone. We don't have to be afraid that we don't have the power to do what we need to do. That we don't have to be afraid of getting stuck in despair. That we don't have to be afraid of taking all of our sadness and grief and hopelessness and despair to Jesus, who by His grace and mercy wants that for you and shows you to what extent He will go to to bring us hope. Jesus rescues us from despair by bringing us hope. Hope. Hope that through the Spirit, you and I can go on through times that are difficult, Hope that we can endure with the Holy Spirit's power our lives. That we can continue to carry our crosses unafraid. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can see your goodness even in a very hard, dark passage. We thank you that you would send us your Son To die as a ransom for our sins. We did not deserve that. We did not earn it. It was by your sheer grace and mercy. And we thank you and praise you for that. We thank you, Jesus, that you would experience so much humiliation and death for a bunch of people who had betrayed your Father. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make your presence known to all of us and that you would bring us hope. You know that we are all hurting in some way to varying degrees, and we pray that you would bring hope to all of those situations, to all of our lives, and use us in a way that brings holiness and goodness and kindness into the world, that we might bring fruit for ourselves and for others. Thank you for your word, that even though there are dark, hard passages, you sprinkle hope into them. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.